Broadcasting live from Otawara, soaring city on the plain of Kamigawa, this is Tap Tap Concede. Welcome everybody to Tap Tap Concede. My name is Graham and joining me as always is Cameron huh? and Nelson. I'm here too. And today we are talking about our experiences at the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty pre-release, pre which at time of recording was yesterday. And we got to do uh, six rounds of sealed gameplay, uh, world first look at the at, at playing with these cards, and it was uh, it was a blast. Mm. And so I'm excited to talk about it. A reminder before we start that, of course, this show is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Please check out cardkingdom.com/lrr for all of your card purchasing needs. You can order yourself some Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, and they'll ship that stuff anywhere in the US and they'll ship singles or older sealed product anywhere in the world and their customer service is great and their shipping is very very fast uh, also you can let them know that we sent you uh, and you can I mean by going to uh, cardkingdom.com slash LRR but if you also say loading ready run sent me button please in the little uh, comments box they will give you a little button which right now still says you're brainstoning wrong hmm. So get up on that. Also, of course, the show and everything we do is brought to you by you and your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. You did this. So at the PPR, we uh, were doing another. We'd hoped that this would be a little bit closer to a traditional pre-pre-release, but uh, Domicron. Mm. And so uh, this was similar to how we've done the last couple, which was still in person, which was really nice. <laughs> to be able to play this in person, uh, divided into two uh, pauses, and we mixed them up this time. So in the morning, it was myself, Cameron, and Ben, and in the afternoon, it was uh, Adam, Wheeler, and Kathleen, and uh, Serge was doing judging for the morning, and Nelson was doing judging for the afternoon. And uh, we did a whole bunch of video stuff ahead of time, uh, a lot of work going into all of that. And then uh, I got to say, the actual event, I think, went really, really well. And... Um, Everyone's deck seemed really cool. This set seems super. I I'm really excited to play a lot of this on on Arena. This 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 set seems awesome. Yeah, uh, this is the first set in a long time that I realize I've been excited to play. All the other ones, I've been like, yeah, no, I guess it's fun. Oh, new Magic set, yeah, mm, new right. Magic set. That's pretty cool. This one, I'm like, I want this deck, and I want this deck, and I want this deck. Yeah, I, I second that. I'm I'm much more excited to get on Arena and and drop this set than I certainly than I am for double feature Crimson Veil. Vale. Mm, yeah, I, I I also noticed like especially just in like maybe the last couple games of from Adam's deck, um, it seems like most of the strategies want you to be pretty slow and splashing is good, and you want to get into into the long game and exploit all of the weird little kinks of of value you can get out of all your cards, which is great mm -hmm. for a limited set when that happens. But I wonder if there's some crazy fast aggro decks too. I get the impression that there are. I mean, Adam definitely had had a draw or two like that with his Boros shenanigans. I almost got to do something very fun in one game uh, that was... I think this was versus Cameron, where I had turned to... I think it's containment construct. It's a two-one artifact. Yeah, this is just a two-one artifact creature uh, for two. And whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may play that card this turn. First of all, that's just a ridiculous thing to have like around, <laughs> incidentally, because like 
Later on, I played the Modern Age, which the first two chapters are lets you draw a card and discard a card. So it was like, cool, I draw a card, I discard this land, I exile the land, I play the land. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very silly. But uh, so you ended up killing the containment construct, which was fair because what I wanted to do was attack with it. And then ninjutsu in the covert technician who is it's two and a blue for a two four. So like already it's a two, four for three mana, which is good stats, but ninjutsu is only one and a blue. Mm -hmm. And then when it deals combat damage to a player, you may put an artifact card with mana value less than or equal to that damage from your hand onto the battlefield. So I could have also just like replayed the containment construct for free. But what I wanted to do was put, um, reckoner bank buster into play (laughs) because it's two mana vehicle. That's, this card's ridiculous. It was so good. Cameron stole it at one point. Yeah. And then I didn't really get any, I, I used it to escape after I died. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to, you got to pull the last counter off. So it, it's a four, four vehicle. It enters with three charge counters on it. And then you can pay two and tap and remove a counter from Reckoner Bankbuster to draw a card. And because it's a artifact and not a creature by default, you can do that as soon as it comes into play, if you have the mana for it. But then, if there are no charge counters on it, so after the third time, then you also make a treasure token and a pilot token. And the pilots are, they're a 1-1 creature that says this creature crews vehicles as though its power were two greater. And the crew is three, so you get a pilot to actually pilot the the thing. Like, what a neat what a neat vehicle and just great sort of like flavor reflected in the mechanics of it that, you know, eventually you bust out of there with the pilot and, and the treasure. And, you know, I think that's, that's really cool. But yeah, I think I only ever actually attacked with it once. It was mostly just drawing cards. Yeah. A bit like treasure map. If treasure map could also knock your teeth out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, oh boy. Yeah. No, these games were all really dynamic and interesting to play. They were, I saw a comment uh, from Wheeler actually this morning on Twitter that a lot of people I think have been looking at the cards and going like there's so many words there's so much happening this this is a really complicated set and his read on it which I agree with having 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 played with it is that's the impression you get from reading it mm-hmm. and in the process of playing it everything actually goes very smoothly it's not that it's not complicated. There's definitely a lot of different options and lines to do and a lot of value to be gained, but it's 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 honestly very straightforward to understand once you're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the points that he made was that it is very friendly to shorthanding, mm. which I'd never really applied as a criterion for a magic set before, but it's 100% correct when you think about it. Right, you can shorthand things quite easily in this set, and your opponent will understand them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I enjoy that a lot, Nelson. From a the judge perspective, because of course you and Serge had to do the rules, the rules explainer video. Like, how how complicated mechanically would you say that this is, just sort of purely on paper, the set as a whole? I think what uh, Neon Dynasty brings us wasn't quite at the level of. Akoria for things being kind of complicated and, and difficult to discern. There's a lot of familiar mechanics and mechanics being brought back that they're like kind of 
paired paired up in a new way, like new transforming cards and new sagas. But overall, I think it's kind of like a you know B plus. Like it's it's a high level of complexity, but not one that yeah, if you've been playing Magic for a while, it's going to throw you. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is a set that's going to benefit greatly from being played on Arena rather than Paper, mm-hmm. be, just because both Surge and I felt, judging the PPR, like, there's just a lot of lot to keep track of. There's not necessarily... There weren't too many times when the players were just straight up like, okay, wait, what happens? What's going on, right? Like, yeah. once or twice during the PPR, it did happen. But uh, more more of the, like... Um, let me get out my rules app mm-hmm. questions were like, you know, Kathleen being like, Hey, theoretically, if I were to, you know, I'd just like to know what happens. If, mm-hmm. Yes. And it, it didn't always come up, but, but every turn it was like, okay, don't forget sagas after you draw. And then like, you know, uh, sometimes there's drawing cards from sagas and like things, the, um, the construct you just talked about that can let you cast something from your graveyard if you've discarded it this turn or right when you discard it. There's another one of those that Wheeler had in white that's like three mana. It's a rare saga, I think, that turns into like Brimaz. But the second chapter is discard a card and then when you do, you can get something back from your graveyard to, to the battlefield. Hmm. Um, and so that one was really neat getting to watch that kind of play out the first time. It's like, oh, this is a white ramp spell. If you just have a land to discard, you get to, on turn four, ramp up to five mana. Um, well, that's quite but interesting. Yeah, but yeah, it was a high level. I also read a tweet from, I think, Frank Karsten uh, showing off like the level of wordiness. It doesn't always equate to complexity, but close, mm-hmm. of this set. And it's the new highest one, Ousting Call Time by... Oh, wow three or four words per card or something, or one word per card or whatever it is. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So the saga... On average. Right. Oh, awesome. Paul found it the same time I did. Um, mm-hmm. The saga you're talking about is the restoration of Iganjo, which is a rare. And yeah, chapter one is just search your library for basic planes, reveal it, put it into your hand. Okay, cool. Chapter two, you may discard a card. When you do, return permanent card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So that's interesting. And then chapter three is, of course, Exile and Return It, and it turns into Architect of Restoration, which is a 3-4 Fox Monk with Vigilance, and whenever it attacks or blocks, you make a 1-1 Colorless Spirit. So yes, very Bremaz, actually. Yeah, so, you know, this Architect of Restoration is a good example of the kind of complexity that we were used to on the boards yesterday, where, you know, this can potentially add two more power um, once it's able to attack, mm-hmm. if, if it gets to block as well. So if you're trying to figure out combat math, it's like, well, how many... How many tokens is this gonna is this gonna put out? We definitely had more questions for Surge in the first match mm-hmm. uh, of just like, okay, hang on, explain how this works. And then once we got our feet under us, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I, everything totally makes sense now, right? It it's just sort of like, what does Magic say this means in this context? And once you get confirmation of what the game is actually looking for, then a whole bunch of stuff makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, like an example, uh, Cameron and Ben actually both had the sword the eater of virtue so it's a one mana uh legendary equipment equips for one the equipped creature gets plus two plus oh mm-hmm. so like at worst that's a very efficient yep. <laughs> little, right it's bone second splitter. bone splitter second, second bone, bone splitter, splitter for your yeah. highlander decks yeah. love it uh so then whenever the equipped creature dies you exile it 
And then it says, as long as a card exiled with Eater of Virtue has flying, the equipped creature has flying. And the same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace, Protection, Reach, Trample, and Vigilance. So it gains, it starts sort of like gaining abilities as, as creatures die. And then the question that came up was, I don't remember which one it was, Cameron, um, but you had a saga, it might have been the Modern Age, mm-hmm. that turned over and was the enchantment creature and you had the Eater of Virtue on it. Yes. And so the question was, when this dies and gets exiled, does Eater of Virtue gain the equipped creature has flying? And the answer was no, because when the creature dies, the, it... it the the sagas are the front side in every zone except on the battlefield after they've transformed. So it gets exiled with Eater Virtue, but it exiles as this enchantment with yes. no abilities. So it didn't actually work, which was a very interesting thing. But it's like, yes, as long as you very interesting. Yes, yeah, so it was much more interesting for me than for Cameron in that moment. I'm sure. <laughs> How interesting! <laughs> How yeah. what a delightful change of pace that was. <laughs> We found a non-bow mm-hmm. in that first game, right? Yeah. Um, but, but yes, it's, it's one of those things. get overloaded, and he handled himself really gracefully. Sorry, yeah, God. it's one of those things where it's like, you know, just sort of remembering, it's like, well, as far as magic is concerned, the sagas are only ever the front face in every possible zone except, except on the battlefield after they're transformed. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, in that case, then yeah, that makes sense. It's like, okay, it, it's exiled this thing, and it doesn't have those abilities, so it doesn't have those abilities. Okay, we understand, right? So mm-hmm. just sort of establishing what the game actually wants, and then it's like, okay, now now a bunch of stuff makes sense. Uh, yeah, like I I was able to ask, you know, you give give your favorite kind of judge calls, which are the ones where you're like, okay, does this work the way I want it to? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. if I do this with this, does it get this? It does. Oh. Cool. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the complexity here feels like, again, as Graham says, once you understand what it's looking for, your game one will take a while. Your game two mm-hmm. will go much faster. Yeah. Right? Like, at it, if you are going to a paper pre-release, round one's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, subsequent rounds are probably going to go by pretty quickly once you understand like what all the rules interactions are. Yeah, I think there's a lot. This set has a lot of those like, does this work the way I want it to? Moments, right? Like, there's a lot of little like this card pairs up with this other ability pretty well, even though they're not in the same mm-hmm. um, tribe or you know same color and rarity or something like that, right? It's like there's a bunch of little little boosts to each other and little synergies and little, you know, arms linking together to slightly promote your, your plan for victory. What leapt out from you, Cam, from your deck as some, some, some cards you really enjoyed? Uh, Cause I, I thought that all, I didn't get to watch as much of the second half. Uh, I, I popped my head in, but all three of the decks that you, Ben and I had seemed pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what impressed me was how many of the moving pieces for a functional ninjutsu deck are at common. Mm. Um, for example, cards that you want to enable ninjutsu, i.e. evasive cheap attackers, are mm. things like Network Disruptor, 
For one blue, you get a 1-1 flying moonfolk rogue that has, when network disruptor enters the battlefield, tap target permanent. Oh, nice. So this, you can flop on turn one, uh, swing on turn two, and get out a ninja, like a two-drop, or a two-ninjutsu card, something like, uh, well, not even Moon Circuit Hacker. Um, like, at, at two two mana for a ninjutsu card, you're going to get something reasonably decent. Um, you could have that 2-4 Technician. Yes, the 2-4 Technician, exactly. Um, and then you'll be able to replay your Network Disruptor to enable something else to swing in on the following mm -hmm. turn, right? Because right. presumably you'll be able to tap down a blocker. Um, so this is like, love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Um, it's really good. Virus Beetle was another one that proved really effective. It's oh, not yeah. evasive. But Virus Beetle, um, if you're recurring it, feels pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. Same kind of effect. It's much harder to swing in with. Um, but if you're able to start recurring it with ninjas, I think you're starting to feel pretty good about your game, especially if you're using one of the ninjas that is drawing you cards, creating that uh, gradient between hand mm. sizes with you and your yeah. opponent early on. It's, it's something that an opponent is going to find hard to crawl back from. It's a really good ninjutsu target. Uh, and frankly, like all the ninjas and the enablers are pretty cheap, which means that in late game, you can start holding up mana, which every mm -hmm. blue deck loves to do. But at common, you have disruption protocol, which is at worst cancel and uh, functioning as intended is counterspell because you aren't tapping a you have to tap tap an untapped artifact you control or pay one colorless as an additional cost you can tap an equipment yep you can tap one of the eggs that have been printed yep. in this set um it there are a lot of options that are not that will not impact your board in any meaningful way you could tap a treasure you can tap a treasure not, yeah not sacrifice it yeah yeah um, Mirror Shell Crab is another one that feels oh, yes. great to just hold up. <laughs> crab says no. Yeah, Crab says no. Crokey's tweeted this morning that this is one of the cards, what four commons were accidentally, or four mythics were accidentally That's printed the one. in common. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I love Mirror Shell Crab. Five blue, blue, you get a five, seven crab with ward three. That's pretty good. Yeah. I honestly. mean, that, that's, that's kind of the finisher, the blue finisher you expect to see printed at common right the hex right. serpent has come big so dork. far big dork yeah um however it has channel for two and a blue discard mirror shell crab counter target spell or ability unless it's a controller pays three generic so <laughs> uh this this is relevant right it's relevant at three it's probably going to be relevant again at six right it's doing kind of the mana leak thing if mana leak was you know more expensive um right in that standard format where mana leak was relevant uh on curve and again it's six because it dealt with titans this is not relevant to the conversation but the fact that it also hits <laughs> abilities means that it can counter other this channels is huge yeah or it, it can, can counter it can channels or, or sorry sorry go ahead uh the question i had for surge was does this what happens if I use this to counter the final clause or the final chapter of a saga? Yes. And that was like an expert level rules question, I want to say, that Surge like very 
confidently got through. Yes. Too. Yeah. Like, that's a pretty, it's a pretty tough, like what happens if I stifle the, uh, suspend counter, you know, situation. Yeah, exactly. And like the answer was that, you know, it gets the third counter. Um, it doesn't transform and it goes to the graveyard. Yeah. Because sagas have like just the inbuilt rules of sagas mean that after the third chapter, you sacrifice it. These sagas have like a, an ability that happens sort of before that, where you instead exile it and then return it to transform. So yeah, if that ability, if that exile and return it transformed ability gets, gets countered by the stupid crab, then your saga just, doesn't do anything, sits there, gets sacrificed, and just goes away. Yeah. Uh, you can <laughs> so use this like, to counter, oh. uh, uh, um, what is it called? Reconfigure? Yeah. Especially Pretty those good. expensive ones, like the pig. Yeah. That's like five mana. Uh, Mirror Shell Crab is a really, really good card, and I'm going to be picking up way too many of these. Um, Dead to the Kami actually impressed me. Yeah. Dead to the Kami is a two black instant. Choose one. Target opponent exiles a creature they control. Target opponent exiles an enchantment they control. This always got the problem card. Yeah, um, this is like Farika's Libation, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Except that that was Sacrifice and this is Exile, which is definitely it, relevant. It turns out Farika's Libation is better in this set than it was in Theros Beyond Death, I think. Oh? I think so, yeah. Hmm. Well, it just, it seemed to do a lot of work for you. Like, you know, hmm. it, it Graham's oh, yes, right. Yes. It is the same card. Yes. It's just that in Theros, you tended to have like random enchantments lying around that mm -hmm. you didn't need. Like Theros was like very out about being this enchantment block. And like, I feel like the Kamigawa previews sort of like pounced on us that like, hey, there's a lot of enchantments in this set. Like we have enchantment mm -hmm. creatures. It's kind of like Theros part two. But you were saying it always gets the problem card. It seems like you know, your enchantment creature is an important one. Mm -hmm. um, or like, you know, if you're, if you're piling, if you're doing some kind of Voltron creature thing, like you're piling a bunch of stuff on one creature, you might only have one creature. Uh, the reconfigured creatures also add to this. Like there's moments when mm -hmm. you won't have a lot of creatures on the board. You might just have one if you're like equipping and you have like, you know, the, the pump from a saga or something, you're putting man, man into sagas, like your number of, creatures might be low or there might just be one powerful enchantment or I it just seemed to the flow of the game was different than Theros. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think it, it has, um, yeah, it, I, I think that's, that's exactly it. Oh, or I might've just gotten lucky. The sample size remains small, but this was an effective card that I thought would be kind of marginal. And I included on kind of a, um, an impulse, but it turned out to be quite effective. Yeah, maybe the other lesson here is just it, in your sealed deck, if you're playing a bunch of, you know, cancels and mana leaks that we just talked about, mm -hmm. these Chainer's Edict effects get better, right? It's like, yes, oh, because you can kind of yeah. craft the uh, the board state a little bit. Yeah, counter their early stuff, and then they're like, okay, I have a four drop with three mana up. And you're like, okay, no crab. Mm -hmm. End of your turn. That's the commie, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um and then there were also cards that, you know, I felt would be pretty good that just turned out to also be good. Twisted Embrace. <laughs> uh, two black black for an enchantment aura. Um, when it enters the battlefield, destroy target creature or planeswalker an opponent controls. And as long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets plus one, plus one. This card's so good. Yeah. 
Uh, Sometimes a, the black common murder is better than others, and this, this one's is a, really good. Yeah. yeah, it's an absolute barnstormer of a common. Like it's it's just it's a four mana sorcery speed removal, which is a thing that we're frankly used to and will will run when we have to. Mm-hmm. But sometimes but it's, it's five mana. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's six. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's totally reasonable. But then not only does you make a creature bigger, but also relevantly you have like for other cards that care about it, you now control an enchantment and a modified creature. Yes. Yeah, it builds very gracefully on the set's mechanics. Yeah. Uh, enables a bunch of things. Also, you can find it with Light Paws, Emperor's Voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, 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 the aura deck, I feel, might be quite real if you get the right enablers for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Light pause just for the re- for listeners is one white for a two two fox advisor. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura and with a different name than each aura you control. Put it onto the, the battlefield attached to light pause. It, it I didn't play it. I had it. I opened it. I did not play it um, because I wanted to play ninjas. Yeah. Also, uh, the sagas. Are just oh that feels so good to ninjutsu them back to your hand and replay them right yeah like the modern age yeah the modern age is just an all-star feel-good card um for one in a blue draw a card then discard a card you get that twice on the first two chapters third is it t- turns into a two three with flying it's mm-hmm. i i mean i said a couple of weeks ago that this felt like bad delver for for limited but i think it's <laughs> not that's inaccurate it's a very different card than that yeah two Um, other blue sagas uh just to talk about real quick one that i think both of us had or maybe it was ben that had one of these as well behold the unspeakable Mm -hmm. so it's the three blue blue creatures you don't control get minus two minus oh until your next turn which that's another judge call we found out that the creature has to be in play when that thing happens. Yeah, this ability looks for a set as it resolves. So it's all the creatures you don't control as this one resolves, rather than like when you're attacked. When wh- whenever a creature attacks you, it gets minus two power until your next turn. Yeah. So watch out for the Ronin if you're yeah if you if you're flopping this. And the and like vehicles, for example, won't be affected mm. unless there are creatures at the time. Um, chapter two. This is wild. If you have one or fewer cards in your hand, draw four cards. Otherwise, scry two and then draw two cards. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great, right? That's so strong. Yeah, yep. you get a lot of time to set that up. Yeah. Tidings hasn't been in a set for a long time. Like five mana, draw four cards. Mm-hmm. It's just such a blunt instrument and limited, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it turns into Vision of the Unspeakable, which is a zero-zero with flying and trample that gets plus one plus one for each card in your hand. So it's a lot of like, all right, draw for the turn, you know, um, modern age ticks up. Well, that's, that's not gaining cards, but anyway, you know, it's like draw for the turn, go to combat, hit you for like five, then play out stuff in the hand. Uh, and then I also had one that was rare that showed up a couple times, which was uh, inventive iteration. So return, Chapter one, return up to one target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand. That was generally relevant. Chapter two, this is interesting. Return an artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. If you can't, then you draw a card. So you're going to get something. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then chapter three, it turns into Living Breakthrough, which is a 3-3 flying moon folk that says, whenever you cast a spell, your opponents can't cast spells with the same mana value as that spell until your next turn. Which I think only actually happened for us once, but it was, it's what a, what a weird thing. Yeah, it got my modern age. Yeah. Once. Because I ninjutsued it back to my hand and then tried to play it again and yeah. Because I'd played like Lion Sash or something, something else that was two mana and it's like, no, I, Living Breakthrough says no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this they, is another they one me. that's it's going to be some tough judge calls when people accidentally cast the spells and then it's like the next turn or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yes. this I, is another one that's kind of hard to play, right? I do appreciate I I do appreciate that it isn't like spells with that mana value are countered. Yes. That would have been extra feel bads. Cuz then you but just it, go I I cast this and then your opponent goes, "Okay." It goes to your graveyard, and then you feel way worse than just like, no, put that back in your hand. You can't do that. Yeah, although that might have helped uh, clear up the battle or, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, board issues a little bit if the judge could just say, oh, it was countered last turn. Yeah. Let's, Judges uh, as janitors just sweeping the board up. You know, <laughs> yeah. just like, nah, this isn't here. That's not here. You're at three. You're, it's your turn. I want to talk about the shrines real quick. Mm-hmm. These things are very cool so there's a cycle of shrines they're legendary there's one in each color they're creatures i assume because the the goshintai daniel was saying that they're they're like spirits that inhabit the shrines so i assume if they had had space these would have been legendary enchantment creature shrine spirit but they they've they've already reduced the the font size (laughs) can't have every card having the type line of that reality chip right yeah Mm -hmm. exactly and so Something that we commented on during during the PPR is that it's probably going to be more difficult even than it was in M21, which was the last time that they did shrines. They did a cycle of uncommon legendary shrines in Magic Course at 2021. It's going to be difficult to make a shrines deck because unlike in the case of those five, the Sanctums, these are just very good on their own. Mm-hmm. Like, look at the, I mean, this is the one I had, the Goshintai of Shared Purpose. It's a 1-3 with Vigilance for 4. Not amazing rate, but then at the at beginning of your end step, you can pay 1 and you make a 1-1. One, one. Like, the fact that it's a creature at all is already great, because it's you, you're you're at least affecting the board. You can, you can block smaller creatures. And then you just start spitting out 1-1s. One, the green one is... One in a oh that's a good point. So uh, Paul's brought up the Sanctum of Tranquil Light, which was the white one from M twenty one. That's it's a single white mana, but it's six mana to tap a creature, and this ability costs one less to activate for each shrine you control. So it's like so for five mana you tap mm-hmm. a creature. That's very expensive, and it doesn't do anything on its own, right? And then oh yeah, going all the way back, the Honden of Cleansing Fire. Yeah, three and a white. For an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep, you gain two life for each shrine you control. So, like, not amazing on its own. Mm-hmm. But these ones, look at the green one. The Actually, that of... card on its own is okay. It, it's okay, yeah. It's a weird. It's a weird metric where you can say, like, "Hey, can your opponent beat Honden of Cleansing Fire?" <laughs> and it's a real thing. Like, right, you know, right, right. You've you've had games where it's like it's it's either stale or maybe you can attack with a two two flyer, but like this negates that. Right. You have to be like really winning to beat a hunt of cleansing fire. You can't be only winning a little bit. Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the green one here, uh, one and a green for a one, one with trample 
And at the beginning of your end step, you can pay one. And if you do, you put a counter on it. So it just gets bigger. It's, it's two mana, and then you just pay a little bit every turn and make this trampling creature bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and then you also control a modified creature. Yes, exactly. You immediately control a modified creature and an enchantment. Like, <laughs> this is... This, Got to these, watch Kathleen turn this sideways a few times. Yeah, these these this whole cycle is just really, really good. Uh, also... Sorry, Cam, go ahead. Oh, I had the blue one, but did not wind, wind up sleeving it up because I don't think it fit into my deck. But the Ghost Shintai of Lost Wisdom is interesting, right? This is a very grindy one. It's an 0-4 with flying, so it blocks everything. Mm. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay one. When you do, target player mills X cards, where X is the number of shrines you control. So I think with two of these, your opponent's in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, we well, can't have two of the same one. Oh, yeah, right, they're legend. The Sorry, ones, yes, yeah. legendary. It's okay, um, it's okay. But yeah, with two two, two shrines. shrines. You know, in the ninjas deck, this is not a bad ninjutsu enabler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, attack. It, yeah, it can attack. It can attack. Zero, it's not a defender. That's a that's zero a reasonable four point. It's like I attack with this. Like, okay, well, I can't block it. It's a zero four, and then you're like, haha, it's actually Nashi. Or that <laughs> one, the one that you cast a bunch of times. That's just it's a vanilla ninjutsu creature like oh the five the, five the ogre yeah. um that guy yeah Dokuchi shadow walker it's four black black for a five five ogre ninja that's it and it has ninjutsu for four mana so it's just like it's like all right fine i don't block your your virus beetle i'm taking five yep it's just a huge dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love I like that. how it's it's sort of like ninjutsu jism Jin, right because it's four mana for a five five yeah oh yeah yep, yeah Ooh, yeah but I do like the flavor of, you know, you expect ninjas to be like infiltrating, maybe gain some card advantage, maybe make treasures, maybe do something kind of sneaky. No, this is There's just a huge attack. dude who's feeding you your teeth. Ninja juggernaut. Yeah. 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 It's very good. Yeah. With all the reconfigure creatures, maybe that blue Goshintai is just like a solid beater too. Just like two mana flyer, giant toughness, and we're going to give it plus two, plus two on lifelink. Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah. It. You can equip. It picks up the uh, uh, bone splitter. Yeah, Adam managed to kill it like three times in the match or something. But Kathleen also had the black one, which is like terrifying and limited. You were talking about how the fact that they're a creature is better. I wanted to jump in about these shrines. It's like the fact that they're a creature is much worse for anyone who cares to play the shrines in constructed because typically True. you can pair the shrines with Wrath of God effects. Right. So you don't want to do that anymore. But it, yeah, I agree. They are even better than you know the good ones had been before in limited because like you get an extra body now. It's like you're not necessarily super far behind if you aren't leaning on the end of turn trigger. Um, and yeah, this one obviously is like a big house we've got three generic and a black for a two two death touch so right away it's look, looking to trade off um prof you know fairly against your opponent but at the beginning of your end step you can pay one and you do if you do destroy target creature with toughness extra less for x number of shrines you control and there's a fair number of like good cards that make one one spirit tokens mm -hmm. so it usually has a target even if you don't have another shrine but if you like kathleen at one point had this one and the green one in play so it's like at the end of turn if, if she could ever get there without her creatures getting burned, it's like, yeah, for one mana, you get to put two plus one plus one counter or something. And for another mana, you get to kill something that costs two or less, like, or tough, sorry, toughness two or less. Yeah. Which is better than mana value two or less, even. Yeah. The Speaking of equipment uh, and reconfiguring and stuff, I also had Lion Sash in my pool, which is ridiculous. So one and a white for a one one artifact creature equipment cat. So I, 
I joked about this at the time, but I look forward to playing this on Arena and then having this go into play and go, meow. Meow. Yeah. So it's, you pay one white and exile a card from a graveyard. If it's a permanent, doesn't even have to be a creature. If it's a permanent, you put a plus one, plus one counter on the lion sash. So it, it, it just gets bigger. But then when you reconfigure it, which is only for two, the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each plus one, plus one counter on lion sash. So the, the like heavy air quotes, like downside is that if you equip this by itself with no counters on it, it doesn't actually do anything to the, to the equipped creature except make it modified, which is not irrelevant. But um, yeah, I was very quickly able to get this, this up very big. And I even didn't do the cool thing that I should have done. I realized later uh, cam that I should have, there was one turn in there where I should have um, as suggested in the judge video, actually mm -hmm. equipped it attacked with some at that point arbitrarily large creature and then unequipped it after combat meaning that then it's an untapped untapped like, blocker like five five or whatever it was at the time which is just such a curious play pattern yeah if you're a fan of like clock of omens um there's a few others there not that many um anything with the fabricate mechanic from uh kaladesh oh, yeah. then you know like uh Re reverse engineer i think that was a pretty popular one or the uh the tutor three three blue and x for uh for a quarter calling for artifacts but it has improvise yeah reverse engineer is a good example i played this card so the improvise mechanic let you let you tap your random artifacts so if you if you've liked those cards in the past or you remember you you've probably tapped an equipment before mm. um so it's not brand new but this set really like more than more than any definitely since kaladesh at least and, and because it has more equipment, it's probably the most of any set really like makes you aware. And it came up in the pre, uh, the pre pre-release yesterday, like, okay, equipments are permanents that enter the battlefield untapped and they don't tap when your creatures are attacking. Right. But you can tap them to do stuff sometimes. Yeah. Um, and like our own awareness of whether or not our enchantments or our, um, uh, our equipments are tapped is like, you know, heightened because of this set. So it's kind of fascinating. The, uh, speaking of tapping things to help cast spells, I did get to see Kathleen use the explosive singularity, which was pretty, pretty cool. It was we a good were, moment. We were talking about this just before we started recording. This I really the, like Adam Savadam. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, what was the, the spirit bomb? Is mm. that the reference? Mm. Dragon Ball, I think. So eight red, red. So 10 mana for a sorcery to deal 10 damage to any target, but... As an additional cost to cast, you may t it has convoke basically. You can tap any number of untapped creatures you control. Almost convoke, yeah. This spell costs one colorless less for each creature tapped this way. In what mechanical way is this different from convoke? Uh, it doesn't contribute colored mana. You can, yeah, convoke would let you tap oh. red creatures to do the red pips. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. You can you can convoke down to zero actual mana. Right. That's why sprout swarm is such a problem. Right. Of course. Forgot about sprout swarm. But yeah, this card's. Uh, it's pretty good. Kind kind of a kind of a bit of a disappointment. It's not called Hidetsuku's uh, third right, but third right, yeah. it's still a cool card. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was a pretty hilarious moment when Kathleen got to win with it. Yeah. Another removal spell I saw. I think multiples of you had it, and I don't remember the name of it, but the art is definitely by Wiley Beckert, and it gives. I think it's like one and a black. It gives minus two minus two to a creature, mm. but then an additional minus one minus one for each modified creature you control. I think. Yeah, exactly that lethal exploit. Yeah, thank mm. you. Yeah, this one put in some work. I saw it kill an indestructible creature at one point. Oh dang! I missed that part. Yeah, 
but I guess at a, at common, probably a pretty common first pick or pretty pretty high level of inclusion in sealed decks. Yeah, this came up in the game, the recorded game versus Daniel that we played because he had put the intercessor's arrest on my Go Shintai. The I had the the green Go Shintai intercessor's arrest is it's like an arrest, a you know classic arrest effect. Two and a white. Uh, enchant permanent the permanent can't attack block or crew vehicles mm. and its activated abilities can't be activated unless they are mana abilities there was one like this um from kaladesh i want to say that was also it can't attack block or crew vehicles because of course revoke privileges yeah that's mm. the one yeah but this has added it up to um its activated abilities can't be activated unless they're mana abilities um but triggered abilities can, so I was able to keep putting counters on the Goshintai, meaning I did still control a modified creature because it was Daniel's aura, but they were my counters. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to um, use the lethal exploit to do minus uh, minus three. So yeah, it's just there's there's a lot going on, but it's it's very cool. Yeah, this card wasn't quite as good, obviously shutting down the Goshintai as the Tamiyo's completion. Um, Wheeler mm. had at least two of those and probably someone else was playing them, maybe yourselves. Um, but I saw, yeah, I saw the arrest as well come down on, I think Adam at one point had to play it on, uh, Benjamin's Fox, but Wheeler's Fox that, mm -hmm. uh, the Fox Samurai that gives lifelink when another Samurai attacks and it shuts down the ability where you can sacrifice it to give something indestructible. I'm sorry. I don't remember this, this one. It's one in a white and it's an uncommon two, two. Um, but... I just want to read Tamiyo's completion real oh, quick. Oh, sure, sure. Three in a blue for an enchantment aura with flash. Enchant artifact, creature, or planeswalker. So that's interesting. That's not often you see... Not often... I, when's the last time you've ever seen something that can enchant a planeswalker, actually? At common? At, I'm saying ever. At all? I, like, Lignify, I think, was the big one. Right, you can... Right, there's been ones that are enchant permanent. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm, so, right. like, yeah, Lignify or, like... Um, Song of Dryads, I suppose. Specifically, artifact creature or planeswalker, though. I'm not sure when it's when you're going that deep. Usually, you just say non-land permanent. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, it, I mean, it doesn't hit enchantments, which is kind of relevant. So. Yeah. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, tap the enchanted permanent. Uh, if it's an equipment, unattach it. The enchanted permanent loses all abilities and doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So it just turns into a plank. And we still, nevertheless, I think, also had a game where Wheeler completed like Tamiyo's completion one of the Goshintais and that's like okay well if if Kathleen draws the other Goshintai then like it still counts as a shrine it's still just sitting there being a shrine it's actually right, still doing right. something even though it doesn't have any abilities right <laughs> right yeah Pretty funny being um, able to unattach an equipment in the middle of combat seems like a I'm going to be very worried running yeah. doing doing attacks into into four open blue mana yeah. when it's like no my sword fell off yeah, this card is easily just the best version of this we've ever seen. Like, there's been three and four mana blue kind of hydration or lack thereof or sleep yeah. or lack thereof or, you know, Trustified. negative status. Yeah, some sort of blue, like, oh, my life is miserable for one reason or another status. But it turns out the worst one is getting turned into a Phyrexian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, were, so, yeah. there were some people asking... Um, uh, in the in the comments after the judge video, there were some people asking, uh, you know, like well, you didn't talk about completed mana, and that I'll I'll tell you that Surgeon Nelson, like they put together a section for that, 
but we knew at that point that no one had opened Tamiyo, and so we decided, mm. no, because it's really complicated, <laughs> and it's not that likely to come up. I say yeah, we, we I, I wasn't part of those discussions. We might have included it if the rest of the judge video wasn't already a fair bit longer than most judge videos. It was like seven minutes, yeah. Mm. It, was a, it, it was a big one. Um, so, sorry, you were talking about the... Uh, we paused on Tamiyo's completion, but then you were talking about a the selfless samurai. One and a white for a 2-2 fox samurai. Whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gains lifelink until end of turn. That's cool. And then you can sacrifice it to give another target creature you control indestructible until end of turn. So it's one of those creatures. This is d definitely one of the one of the like sacrifice to give indestructible creatures that's the most capable on its own. Like there have been a couple that are like one one dogs. And there was a knight in Dominaria that's just like a two-one and counts as a knight for cards that care about knights. But this this one actually like does a bunch of stuff on its own that you'd be sort of reticent to sacrifice it. I feel. Hmm. Yeah, I think it like plays the early game a bit better than the the selfless dog does. Um, mm -hmm. It may be a little bit reminiscent of the the knight who's going to jump in front of some other creature right, that's there, the, but uh, the bodyguard from Dominaria. The bodyguard. That's the thing about the bodyguard is though, like it, it you know. It was fine to like kind of nerf the uh, the secondary ability of the bodyguard because it was a two one for one. Like this is a Samana Lions. Yeah, and, that's true. Actually. And we play those even if they don't have any other words on them. But yeah. the, you know, so it was like the way that one worked is like okay, if you play it on turn one, you've got a two power one drop. If you play it later in the game, well, now you've got a creature that can save. Thank you, Domus Bodyguard. You can save your other creatures. With this one, it's like hey, in the early game, you've got a two two attacking lifelinker, and then in the late game, you've got a counter spell for a removal spell. Mm -hmm. Um. And while the arrest that we were talking about the white arrest removal earlier, it does shut down the the sacrifice list to make something else indestructible ability. There was uh, several turns where if Wheeler drew another warrior or samurai that could start attacking, then it would still be gaining lifelink, which was like would have been super relevant for the match against uh, against Adam. So I, I found that a really interesting kind of like again fairly high level sort of judge complexity you know, match card situation. It didn't quite come up. And I think looking back at all of Wheeler's games, maybe that was the only samurai in his deck. He was kind of like a bad, greedy sort of eggs plus bombs list. So <laughs> he might've just had the one samurai. Good old bant, greedy eggs plus bombs. <laughs> the, the, it's gotta be Wheeler's favorite archetype. Wheeler's breakfast. We call it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I want to talk about from my deck. Anyway, I want to talk about, a mythic and an uncommon. Um, so I, I opened the Wandering Emperor. Mm -hmm. She showed up once and died immediately. But I think this card is unreasonably good. I didn't catch that game, but yeah, I yeah. bet that was a big turn. Yeah, well, so it's two white-white for three loyalty legendary planeswalker with no further type line. She's got Flash, which is wild. And then, as long as the Wandering Emperor entered the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could cast an instant. So you get to do one of them on the turn you flash her in if it's during your opponent's turn. So I was sort of waiting to do something shenanigans during combat and Ben didn't end up attacking. So I was like, all right, well, I have all my mana up, so I'm going to use it anyway. So I flashed the Wandering Emperor in minus one to make a samurai because it's plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on the creature against first strike, minus two, make a two, two white samurai creature token with vigilance, minus two, exile target tapped creature, you gain two life. So I could have done the plus one or the minus two, but he didn't end up attacking. So I just was like, all right, well, I'll flash in the Emperor. Minus one, make a samurai, and he burned her like before I got to untap. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was 
the only thing I did with the Emperor. But this card's going to absolutely break games in half. This is you're going to be like, all right, I'm I, I feel comfortable about this. My opponent has double white and two other mana open, but I I think I think we can make this attack, and then Emperor's going to come in and just mess with combat so badly. Mm-hmm. I also wouldn't be surprised if we see this showing up in like a blue white constructed deck where it kind of fills the role of Shark Typhoon, mm-hmm. where you you know it's just like end of turn. If you didn't counter their spell, you can flash this in. And now you've got a little win condition, little Elspeth, kind of like pooping out samurais that are going to attack your opponent, and then you just keep you just keep playing Drago from there and attack when you can. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then the uncommon I wanted to talk about is Roadside Reliquary, or like the colorless divination, essentially. So it's a land uh, taps for colorless. Does doesn't enter tapped just just a land taps for colorless, and then for two and tap and sacrifice it. Draw a card if you control an artifact. Draw a card if you control an enchantment. So if you have either of those, you get to draw one card. But if you have both of them, you get to draw two. And it was not that difficult to make sure that I had both. Uh, there was one game where I was really behind on land initially and ended up playing the um, the O-Ring, which from this set is called Touch, Touch the Spirit Realm. Ended up playing that on like a less than optimal creature just because I was like, okay, well, I already have an artifact. This way I'll have an enchantment. And I'll be able to draw two and then, you know, and that ended up working out okay, but um, I think Roadside Reliquary is very good in limited. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty good in Commander as well. Like, if you open a foil oh, yeah. one of these in the pre-release, like, maybe wait to sell it. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if the price sort of cl- slowly climbs up after the first week. I, uh, I could be wrong, but, uh, you know, if I've seen a Commander deck or two, I believe there are enchantments such as Corsair of Prefix and uh, an artifact such as Crucible of Worlds already lying around in there for the uh, Roadside Reliquary to combo with. Mm-hmm. Touch the Spirit Realm, by the way, is like, what a versatile card. Like, it's a normal O-Ring templated exactly like the most the most recent printings of this effect where it's just two and a white enchantment ETB exile up to one target artifact or creature until it leaves the battlefield. But also, you can channel it as a blink that exiles a creature and brings it back to the beginning of the next end step. So, like, you can do your own ETB shenanigans with that, or you can clear a bl- you can well, not clear a blocker out of the way, but like you can clear a blocker out of the way. You can do something during combat, right? You can do something at instant mm-hmm. speed. You can blink a creature. Like, it's just very versatile. I think maybe it's like two years since the shift at Wizards to try to make sure that white kind of gets caught up to the other colors and power level and has like a more clearly defined identity is happening. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that's been happening for decades too, but it's certainly this set. It just seems like they really didn't want white to, for anyone to think white was the worst color of this set. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, for me, it's too early to, to make a call on what the best and worst colors are, but I don't think it's white. <laughs> I definitely don't think white's the worst. Yeah, there's great cards in all the mm-hmm. colors, but the white commons and uncommons in particular, they definitely seem to have a bump up, right? Like, they, you know, we've seen it, we talked about it, but there's Elvish Visionary in white now, and it's even an enchantment for extra value. And it's got an adorable picture. It's a cute little dog. Like, uh, is it Loyal Companion? or Spirited Companion. Mm-hmm. Spirited Companion, yeah. Very funny, uh, funny joke name, too, there. Oh, yeah. Good. <laughs> He's got spirit friends. Yeah, and just spirit, you know. Yeah, but just yeah, got a like lot of say, Elvish step. visionary. It, yeah, but in white, also an enchantment, also a dog, dog value. I was, I wasn't record. So Nelson, we talked about the Tanuki last time, 
and I, I wasn't, this was after we were done recording and I was kicking myself for not having brought this up during the interview with Daniel Holt. But, uh, after we recorded the, that interview on Monday, that's when Daniel learned that Tanuki were real. Oh my gosh. <laughs> got through the whole set without realizing that Tanuki weren't just folklore yeah. and myth. Yeah. It was, wow. it was and, beautiful. And like, I was right there with that. I didn't, I didn't chime in. Cause I don't know if you've watched the PPR, you know that I was like some weird ethereal voice. I'm actually still struggling with a cough right now. Um, but yeah, I, I was remote while everyone else is in person. So I didn't, I didn't chime in just like with every little dumb witty quip, but Adam said, Oh, I just thought Tanuki was like something that Mario turns into from Mario three. And I was like, yep, me too. That's the only reference in my life that there have been Tanukis. Like I bought a Tanuki Mario shirt as an adult played Mario three. I'm aware that they're like a, <laughs> some kind of Japanese, like mythical creature, like a Griffin but from Japan. And it's yeah. a cute little raccoon dog thing. And then Nope. This is a living being from earth. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's wonderful i love it i love the people who are learning all about the 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 tanuki they're they're very cute too honestly which is nice i'm sure they're they're probably like i don't know they're probably some sort of menace like a badger or something i don't know hmm. but damn tanuki's assume, going through my trash again I probably that's probably the situation that, that we're in but i don't know um any any other any other thoughts, Cam? Any anything else from your from your deck you wanna you wanna talk about before we uh, move to wrapping up? I I don't think so. There was nothing that um I mean I had the mind control effect, which was pretty fun. Uh, one blue 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 blue, gain control of a target permanent. That was pretty handy. Um, yep. Invoke the winds. Invoke the winds. Thank you. Uh, Otherwise, I am just going to be drafting common ninjas and evasive creatures and sagas. Yep. Because ninjutsuing a saga, I don't know. If you've never tried it, I really <laughs> recommend trying ninjutsuing a saga back here. It, yeah. I definitely watched you do it in that first match, and I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. When sagas oh, turn into creatures, you can do this. Yeah. Uh, the, the Umazawa saga in particular. Oh, yeah. Picante. If you can, if you can swing in with it unblocked, yeah, you got to you got to kill something. You got to do a big attack with something that had been given plus two plus two. Then it turned into a creature, and then you attacked with it and got a ninja through, and then replayed it and killed something else. Like that was that, that was awesome. Yeah, no, it, it it's it feels like a very interactive and fun set, and I'm very excited to play a lot of it in arena and post absolutely terrible numbers because I will be forcing the ninjutsu deck every game. If you see me in arena, first off, hello from the bottom of bronze ranking. I feel that we are siblings. I see you and I appreciate you, but know that it is a ninja. I am, I am holding up a ninja. Why would or he be crap. making this attack? Oh, wait, it's Cameron. Yeah, ninja. Yeah. He's in green. There are green ninjas. There we are. Need to, we need to figure out what the best combat trick to play is if you don't have a ninja so that we can just force every combat step into representing either ninjutsu or some combat trick that wrecks the block. Yeah, there has right? to be something. Oh, yeah, there's probably plenty. We saw, um, this was a pretty cool play, going back to talking about the Fox Samurai. Um, Adam had a turn where he, it was like turn two on the on the draw. And so he wanted to block the uh, the fox that can give indestructible and, and makes itself lifelink. And then Wheeler had not the full value of this, but it was a channel. I'm sorry, I don't remember any of these names of cards. 
but it was a channel pump spell and it channeled for two and a green to give up to two target creatures each a plus one plus one counter so that one was pretty cool at least yeah nice. i mean there has to be a black combat trick that gives death touch i don't see one i'm looking through it right now it's it's omaiwa shinderu instead this time right. which is okay. only one mana yeah but and draw it still draws you a card uh you and, do and have offers pretty close to death touch yeah you do have um thank you paul jukai berserk return to action so one mm. in a black instant until an turn target creature gets plus one plus zero oh in lifelink and when it dies return it to the battlefield tapped under toner's control so you know it's a reasonable way to recycle your virus beetle again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> you know, the one saga that I didn't open that I'd really like to get is uh, Okiba Reckoner Raid. <laughs> Biker yeah, Mice from Mars. Yeah, Biker yeah. Mice from Mars. This coat is awesome for one thing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I would also like to cosplay Okiba Reckoner Raid. Yeah, like uh, you can feel the heavy waxed cotton. Mm. Right? It's a single black mana, which is amazing. Uh, Chapter one is each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That is also chapter two. And then chapter three, it turns into a two, two rat rogue with menace that says vehicles you control have menace. This maybe cool. also gets into my Highlander deck. I, I can hear the, I can hear the Akira soundtrack, mm. you know, battle against the clown. Oh yeah. That's another great one to ninjutsu, actually, because menace yeah. makes it so much harder to block. Yeah. It's like, oh, and I'll just take two. Yeah, evasive, evasive creatures, my dude. Oh, man. You got to so watch out good. for them. Prioritize them. Well, we've had a terrific time playing uh, with just, you know, like six games of uh, of of Kamigawa, and I'm very much looking forward to more. If you want to buy yourself some, I'd head over to cardkingdom.com slash LRR and get them to uh, to send you some as soon as they're legally able to do so, which will be very soon by the time you're hearing this. Um, if you're able to go to a pre-release, uh, that's awesome. Let us know how, how it goes for you. And uh, also a reminder that this show and everything that we do is brought to you by you and your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. If you missed the PPR, the VOD course is up on Twitch, but it will also be up on this channel very soon, um, possibly by now. It, it depends. There's just a lot of really irritating computer factors that go into making sure that it uh, that it uh, comes online in a timely manner. But if it's not up already, it will be very soon. So um, that's going to do it for Tap Tap Concede. Um, I've forgotten how I usually sign off. Uh, I've been Graham, joined by Cameron huh? and Nelson. I was here too. Paul's been running tech. Heather gets these online. Thanks everybody for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.